What's up guys? This is Red Padilla from Red and the Revelers. We're here in Chickasaw, Alabama. And this song is a new one that's going to be on the next album. That's called Natural Ability. I'm the king of the skies Looking down on my domain I'm traveling to the land of my father's right high on the gas in my brain. I don't really want much, I don't need anymore. I'm afraid of losing myself as soon as I walk through that door, and I don't know if I keep myself. Well, it takes a lot of love to win Losing is your natural ability Well, upon my first steps in the dungeon Oh, the devil, it calls me by name The bells and the whistles Flashing lights, it's never changed Temptation to escape the light of day, and the time it drifts on by till it's all drifted away, and I don't know if I keep my sanity. Well, it takes a lot of love to win. To make a mile for the two Massive strain brought on by this test I long to be removed from this hell But the demon it bursts from my chest And I try to escape But it holds me oh so tight Listen to my word child I'll be lucky to live through the night And I don't know Keep my city. Well, it takes a lot of love to win. Losing is your natural ability. Well, it takes a lot of love to win. Losing is your natural Yes, sir. Welcome you to Porch Talk.
And as Red just told you, we're in Chickasaw. Chickasaw! And so are you. Well, man, been excited about doing this episode for some time. Yeah, brother. It's, I mean, what? Um, we, we tried connect- to do it like what, like months ago. Right. Yeah, we connected through social media, and I was immediately uh, into it. Yeah. You know, ready to do it. And you know as things go, it's just timing. Oh, yeah. And then COVID. Yeah. And then the world stopped. Right. Do you remember that Australia was on fire this year? I forgot. I thought it was like five years ago. It was like months ago. That's the thing about it is, you know, it's kind of weird to say, as you hit September, it kind of felt like August kind of fast-forwarded. And yeah. right when you hit August 31st, you're like, crap, tomorrow's September. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, God. The you, you started thinking back on like everything, and you're like, the world has been just insane. Dude, it's been insane, bro. And it feels did you, like you, did no you read rest. That a pilot reported a man in a jetpack at three thousand feet? I saw you share that and that just like how I don't see how that jetpack got up that high with his balls guy, being that give, big, bro. Give this guy an award for biggest ball sack ever. Yeah, the FBI's looking for him, so I'm sure he ain't telling nobody. I wouldn't tell so. I I figure like you can buy those. I'm I'm sure he bought it. So, I mean, I feel like they could triangulate whoever bought one. I mean, like, those things have to be insanely expensive. Check this out. Like, I think this happened back in March, and it mm-hmm. just resurfaced as a meme. But uh, I got to give props to Columbus, Mississippi for this one. Okay. It was back in March. Uh, someone took a photo mm-hmm. of a guy. This is just right off uh, 50, which is like mm-hmm. the main, no, 12, the main highway okay. through Columbus. Yeah. And the guy is almost at 12. He's on a bicycle with like some kind of like a jet ski hitch uh-huh. attached to it. Yeah. Guess what was it sitting on top of that jet ski? Bro, was there a rocket on that jet ski? A coffin. What? <laughs> a coffin? A coffin. The guy was riding a bicycle with a jet ski um, rack. With a coffin on top. This is. A, I'll show you the picture later, but this this is a meme now. <laughs> what? And it was like 2020 got me like, yeah. it's just a guy driving a bicycle with a coffin on that's, the back. That's grim. That's grim. When, the, when we're resulting to moving coffins by bike, things are grim, brother. <laughs> I, I just took it like to the comedic level 100%. Like I had like, that's funny. Oh, it's hilarious. I mean, you don't see that every day. You at all. You shouldn't see it at all. You know, I came across something really weird the other day. I was, I picked my kid up from his mom's house, and I was taking him to my grandparents' house so they could take him to school. And I, I get off on Airport Boulevard, and I, I circle around to get on to 65. And right by the bridge is like half a mannequin. It's half a mannequin. By which half? A, in like a football jersey and a football uh, helmet. Top half. Yeah, top half. <laughs> top half of a mannequin. Just, and it's got like long sleeves like somebody tried to make it look like a person, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's just leaned up against the overpass. And, I, and I, my first thought was like, did somebody throw that over the top to make it somebody think like they hit somebody or something? And I was like, but no, because you would have heard about that on the news, you know. But I, I guess maybe it fell out of somebody's... <laughs> Somebody's carrying around weird shit. Like, what's that? It's just my truck of weird shit, man. Oh, you got half a mannequin back here dressed like a football player. That's weird. I'm gonna weird go, shit. I'm going to go ahead and pretend. I want to call it gumping it. After Forrest Gump. Yeah, gumping it's, it? Yeah. Is I want to pretend like there was at least four flags 
like Alabama Crimson Tide flags hanging out the windows. Oh, like, brother, there's okay. So this is this is the imagination. We, we have a creek back here, as you know. Yeah. So we go on the creek and we 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 kayak and paddle. It's about like fifteen minutes to a sandbar. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of boats that come up and down through there, and we're in Alabama, so you can just imagine there's a lot of Confederate flags that fly on these boats. But my favorite one is the one. <laughs> that, and I'm not saying like I like Confederate flags. I'm a Mexican <laughs> man. I have not. I do not like Confederate flags. But this one is a huge Confederate flag <laughs> with Hank Williams Jr.'s face in the middle of it. And I just like right on the X. Yeah, dude. Yeah, just right smack dab <laughs> in the middle of it. And it says "Country Boy Can Survive" on it. And I was just like, Oh, that's epic. That yeah. I mean, that's like next level. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it just cracks me up. Dude. Every time I see it, it makes me laugh so hard. Well, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, how's that for an opening? <laughs> That's a great opening, man. Yeah, Creek Life. <laughs> yeah. Man, uh, you already referenced um, being Mexican. and Yeah. Um, we're in Alabama. We're in Chickasaw. Just, you know, a part of Mobile. Mm-hmm. Man, tell me a little bit about growing up. Like, where are you from? And like, what, okay, how, so, did, how did you get here? Oh, well, that's a long story. Uh, no, I grew up in Arkansas. I was born in Central Arkansas in a, in a little town called Benton, Arkansas. I wasn't born there. I was born in Little Rock, but because Benton didn't have a hospital, so. <laughs> but I live in a town just thirty minutes south of Little Rock. It's called Benton, and uh, it's where Sling Blade was filmed. It was filmed when I was in high school there. And uh, mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. yeah, that was our, where he orders the French fried potatoes. That was our actual Dairy Queen. It was still left over from the 1950s. It was cool. And as soon as they got done filming, they tore it down. Oh my gosh! And they built one out by the highway, like a brand spanking, like yeah, you know, modernized Dairy Queen. I thought that one was cool, but <laughs> I grew up there, man. Uh, graduated high school, uh, came down here for school. Let me uh, let me left. stop you right there. Okay. Just with uh, the high school years and all this mm. and that, tell me a little bit about music, or getting into music. Like okay. how uh, was it? Mom and Dad's records? Was it the radio? I it mean, was what well. Happened? It was a combination of things. My I have a sister that's eight years older than me, and uh, oh, you had a good influence. She was a dancer. Okay. And so, I grew up having to because I was the younger brother so I you know when your sister's eight years older you just have to watch whatever she's watching so I grew up with a lot of musicals and stuff I mm-hmm. grew up with that and my parents loved music uh, we had a piano in the house and my dad always had a guitar although he'd like never played but um what was the story behind that like why it's just like well he he was in a he was in a, he had, in the 50s he, he was in a cover band in the 50s in uh in Oklahoma and they would, like they were teenagers in this little town, and they would play at this, like, resort, like Lake Resort in Oklahoma. Oh. For, like, the summer. They would go and they'd play. And uh, they had some good, they had, like, they'd play, like, Turn On Your Love Light and stuff so like that. And was that, that guitar, like, a relic now? Like, he would look at it and be like, yeah, no, nah, it was, like, days. he played bass back then, but, like, he just had a Yamaha guitar. It was just all, and we had, like, an Ovation Classical. It was always around. Okay, okay. And, uh, I mean, like, my earliest memory of guitar was him, like, and I was like maybe 13 or 14 teaching me that just that E blues riff that you know that little like dun, 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 you know that yeah. little just walk and, uh, but my first musical instrument is piano and, uh, were you classically trained? yes I was classically trained for 14 years well that years. explains a little bit we'll get into this in a bit but man uh, 
enjoyed your guitar work. Oh, thanks, man. Really yeah, appreciate uh, that, that. that's one thing that I mean, you know, right when we connected about you being on the show, was, mm-hmm. you know, I had seen some of your stuff, and I was like, I like how he gets after it. Yeah, I like <laughs> that's very much, and that's very much. That's where I would say classical music influences me a lot is not so much in melody structure, but it's so much as in dynamics. That's the benefit, right? Because I mean, I, I'm one of these. Is like I tried to be classically trained, and mm-hmm. I was alma mater is University of Mobile. Oh, I went to University. Of Mobile. I was. Uh, um, oh, cool. We're we're getting there then. Right? Yeah, I was in the uh, the music department for a year. Okay. And uh, I stopped. I was intercultural studies. I was in the, uh, you know, I, I was doing like worldviews and missions. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. With that degree. But I had music as my minor for a time. And I remember it was my first semester at UM and music theory, like the actual theory part of it, you know, B plus or maybe an A sometimes, A minus. Mm-hmm. But when it came to the lab, sight singing, Dude, I couldn't hear it. I couldn't do it. And like I remember, uh, it was cats like uh, Jordy Searcy, and there were a couple. Th- there were a couple others in that class, and they was just like hear it on the piano and just replicate it. And I was like, "Where have I been all my life?" Well, that's 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 something that you might be able to train yourself to do over time. But some people just have that gift, man. That really is. Yeah. I mean, so it's just a gift. I, 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 I'm not one of those people. I'm not yeah. one of those people that can just listen to something and sit down and play it. I'm just not. Yeah. But I, I, my mom, first thing she ever taught me was the Star Spangled Banner on the piano when I was because she said, she said I was about four years old and I wouldn't stop banging on it. Yeah. Like I just wouldn't quit. I just wanted to play it all the time. And so she said, well, if you were going to bang on it, I was at least going to teach you something that you could, you know. So I just very, you know. And then she got me lessons, and I went through, I think, four teachers growing up. Um, not from, like, being a bad, you know, like, they didn't want to teach me. I just outgrew all of my teachers. And But I, I not, I can't, it was just one of those things I kind of did for myself. I never played anywhere. Um, I would practice, like, every day for, like, two hours, every day. So, I mean, like, and, just right out the gate, like, music, it was... You it was pay. serious yeah. from the beginning, and it was because it was something I loved. I didn't mind it. It wasn't. It wasn't like a job to me. It was never work. Now, when I was about twelve or thirteen, I started to get burned out a little, and I want, kind of wanted to quit at one point. My mom wouldn't let me, mm-hmm. and I'm really happy she didn't. <laughs> she always told me. She said, "You'll you'll thank me one day." Yeah. <laughs> let me let me take this. So here. Thanks, mom. Yeah, let me take this here for a second because uh-huh. man, I, I do guitar lessons in my hometown, and yeah. uh, you know, a lot of time it's. Um, you know, a mother reaching out and be like, hey, I got a, a five, six, seven-year-old. Uh, he's really interested in music. I, I'm going to get him a guitar, mm-hmm. and we're going to teach him how to play. And that's the that's the first thing I tell him is what uh what you need to think about is, like, I mean, whether you spend, you know, 50 bucks at the pawn shop or if you go out to Walmart and get him a first act, yeah. uh, small version, or whatever you, you're thinking is... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna charge you anything for this lesson because like what we're gonna do is fill this out. Yeah, because some kids they because like he might like music, you know. Like a lot of kids grow up watching Disney, and I mean like a lot of kids shows is like full of music and like they sing mm-hmm. and dance. And I mean even some of them, if you give them a microphone, it's amazing to me about children like three years old. You give them a mic and they know what to do with it. You didn't even have to oh, tell yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was the thing I was wondering about. It was like. Uh, let me bring my guitar. I have two. 
Mm-hmm. I'll bring. I'll let him play mine, and we can kind of feel the strings around. And let, let me just give him like the most. They, those fingers start hurting. <laughs> yeah, I was like, let's just. I was like, give it fifteen minutes, and mm-hmm. I promise he or she's probably gonna quit, right? Yeah. And give them a couple of weeks, and if they bring it back up, I think they want to do it, and then we'll start talking about like for how long, and like we'll set the regiment. Yeah. But. Like with your case, is mm-hmm. though it's like there was never no question. Like how fat? Like was were you five? How fast was that? Like where it was. You at? It. I progressed very quickly just because that's all I cared about. You know, it was, and it feels like a lifetime ago because I really I hardly ever. I mean, I play every now and then, but it's like once again, it's just it's just something I do for myself. Mm-hmm. Piano was always something that was just kind of for me. It's something that I do when I want to get lost, and I you know and. I just float away. Even from a young age, um, I've developed a really good memory because of playing piano um, and having to, because like by the time I was 12, I would have to memorize pieces that were 20 and 30 pages long, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and I was playing college level pieces by that, by that age. Wow. So by yeah. the time I graduated high school, I was done with piano. I was, I felt You're like I have learned, I, well, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be a concert pianist for a living. You know what I'm saying? Like, so the, 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 it was kind of futile at that point to, and at that point I discovered guitar and rock and roll. So (laughs) it was really what it was. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, I really love classical music and it's really influenced my, the way I feel has helped give our band kind of what I feel is like a very kind of like unique feel and a unique sound is that. I'll say that. Um, I very much play with dynamics a lot in our music because I think it's something that's been missing from a lot of music for a long time is, you know, classical influence is like classical music ebbs and flows. It's not supposed to be, you know, you have your stuff and you're playing with the orchestra, but like when I play music, it, it, it speeds up, it slows down, it gets louder, it gets softer. You know, it shouldn't be, to me, it should never just be something that's regimented. You know what I'm saying? Like, it should breathe and it should have life to it. And I feel like that's why when we recorded this last Saturday, we didn't record with a click track. I wanted that natural flow and it it worked perfect. Sure, man. I I think about this, you know, in um, songwriting and like, a guy asked me the other day, it's like, man, you you seem to rarely write a bridge, but sometimes you'll just write a verse with, it it might hit harder, it might be faster, it might, be more you know dynamic it might yeah. you know you're, you're attacking it more it's mm-hmm. like you sped everything up but when you got the course you backed off and then you went back to the original mm-hmm. and you never went back again it's like you played us a bridge but it was like a verse we we want to create that monotony because dude i cannot stand long songs yeah long songs are tough man <laughs> um one time i was at karaoke when i discovered that there was an 11 minute version of american pie by don mclean and that is definitely a song that does not need an 11-minute version, my friend. Because <laughs> it is verse, chorus, verse, chorus yeah. for 11 minutes. And then I was like, I went and got donuts. I walked across the parking lot got donuts. came back and I was still singing. Yeah, I imagine so, right? But, uh, but yeah, man, so it's, I, I did classical music for a long time. And then when I was about 15 is when guitar hit. Because that's when I discovered, you know, I started listening to a lot of punk music and stuff like that. And I wanted to be cool. I was 15. You know, oh, yeah, and so I talked to my dad, and I wanted to play guitar, and my mom didn't want me to, because she said it was going to take away from my piano lessons. You know, 
And, uh, oh, I thought it was going to be maybe something religious, like that's devil music. No, no, my parents were never. I grew up, I grew up in church, and church was a very big part of music for me growing up. And we'll get into the singing part of that later because yeah. it kind of all happened separate. But um, I got guitar. My dad went ahead and got me guitar lessons, and my mom finally agreed and said, "Well, I had to take classical guitar." Mm. So I took classical guitar for a year, and um, and I had a really great teacher. His name was Danny Fletcher in Benton, Arkansas. And he's still teaching today. He looks like Jeff Beck, just like Jeff Beck. And uh, he's what a sell. Well, dude, he was he was he was amazing because he would do a, a a recital each month. Okay, so this is a great story for you. So I took one lesson on guitar mm-hmm. and had a recital immediately after that lesson. Okay, <laughs> one lesson. Never, you know, I could already read music, all that and everything. So for me, having to go back to an instrument and be like one string in it, you know, out of the Mel Bay book. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was it was very I was kinda like I've kinda felt like like you were like a scholar stuck in kindergarten and you had to go through kindergarten for a year. You know, you're just like you're sitting you're like, oh God. So I had to play this song called Buffalo Gals out of this book. It was like a one string. And I remember I got done <laughs> we got in the car and uh my mom was trying to be all encouraging, you know. She's like, "Oh, you know, it was good." But my dad goes, "But well, just sucked." <laughs> <laughs> and I just started laughing, and so I locked myself in my room with that guitar, and all I did was play, dude. I just played and played, and I had another recital a month later, <laughs> and I played and sang "Tears in Heaven" by Eric Clapton. Is what I did. Yeah, which is <clears throat> which is not exactly simple. No, it was, but I by that time he had started teaching me, you know, classical More fingering and stuff, and, and which I've forgotten all that shit. <laughs> that was um, it was uh, but uh, I did guitar and stuff. Now singing, that came from church, man. Like I grew up, like my parents, uh, I did grow up in church my entire life, and like my parents were the type like they never drank, I never saw them drink, and never saw them smoke, they never did anything like that. Um, they weren't strict though. My parents are very. My parents are uh, what I feel like Christian people are supposed to be. They're that type. They're very accepting of people. They're very um, yeah open. You know, I didn't know what popular music was until I was like twelve. Because all we listened to was the oldie station, or I had to listen to Focus on the Family. <laughs> <laughs> Focus on the family. Focus on the family. But uh, yeah, dude. So I like their era of music. Like Otis Redding, everything from like Otis Redding and, and Sam Cooke and Marvin Gaye and all that stuff to the Beatles, you know, the Monkeys, the Zombies, you know, all those people, even to like. It's not a bad place to even, start. Even all, you know, all the old 60s and 50s, all the doo wop groups, you know, like the Platters and stuff like that. You know, I knew every word to every song because that's all we listened to. And it was, you know, they play the same shit over and over. They're not making new of it, you know, <laughs> so it's yeah. the same stuff. So. Like, I'm that era of music I know very well. Like, even to this day, if something comes on the radio, it'll pop in my head and I, I just know it, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, but I started singing in church. Evidently, my mom told me the first time I sang in church was when I was three. And we were in church service. And they, Jesus loves me? And well, they, they had, <laughs> yes, it was. But it was, it was, uh, they had, uh, we for some reason they had like a, <laughs> they would have on Wednesday nights once a month. It was basically like a, church open mic 
So anybody could go up and sing like a hymn or do whatever they, you know, play a guitar or instrument. You just showed up and it was like yeah. a, which I always thought was cool. I mean, that's cool practice, you know. I'm not really in church these days, but it was cool back then. Sure. And I, when I was three, I just took off down the aisle. It's like she couldn't stop me. I took off down the aisle. And Here I went go. And grabbed the microphone and sang Jesus Loves Me in front of the whole church. And after that, I I didn't, somebody taught, well, I was, I think I was like around puberty age. When uh, I was, I, you know, my parents made me sing in choir, you know, because sure. I was a good church kid and I sang in choir. And the director came up to me afterwards and said, uh, do you know you can sing? <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, can I? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And I was like, so I started singing specials in church and that's, yeah. that's where all the singing came from. And then karaoke. But, uh, but I, I had a really good, I took choir one year in high school. I played sports all growing up, and I played all the way through high school until my senior year because I was like, "Sorry, genetics say I'm not getting a sports scholarship." <laughs> so I can relate. Yeah, and so, uh, <laughs> and so I was going to go do music at the time, and uh, and so I was like, "Well, if I'm going to do that, I need to go take choir so I can get, do the piano and then mm-hmm. also do the vocal, and I could probably get a full ride, you know." And so I went and did choir for a year, and I had a really amazing choir teacher I guess director uh, his name was Ron uh, Ron Hall and uh, he really taught me how to sing um, he really taught me how to breathe really well and that's where you know I get people tell me a lot of times that they were like you know your voice is very powerful I get that a lot you know I'm very I project a sure. lot and a lot of that comes from him and how he taught me how to breathe. Man, uh, it was the only voice class I took because I picked um, voice as my instrument instead mm-hmm. of guitar because I knew I, I wouldn't have a chance on like classic guitar. Yeah. Because I've been playing by ear. Yeah. And um, that was the first thing I learned how to do. And a uh, shout out to, I can't, I wish I remembered her name. I'd tell her. Uh, but, uh, man, breathing. Do breathing it with kids. If you, you want to sing, you will hit. Learn notes. how to breathe. You will hit notes that you thought you couldn't, and yeah. you'll you'll be yeah. like, "I was like, I can only sing in the key of G and A." False. <laughs> yeah, if you learn how to breathe, it'll open it up. And it's not your lungs; it's your stomach muscles. Mm-hmm. That's how you breathe. <laughs> and there's a big difference, man. Like people, I don't know how much it is because, like, most of the time we're doing these episodes sitting down and they project just fine. But sitting down and standing up's way different. Well, yeah, it's it's your diaphragm. Yeah, because so you're when your diaphragm, it. you you don't want your diaphragm. People think when you breathe, you're supposed to go out. But that's not the case. You want your diaphragm to go down because when it down, it extends your lungs more, and you're able to fill your air your lungs mm-hmm. up with more air. And then when you push it back up, it's like a squeeze box. Sure. So that's how you get more power is the harder you squeeze it, the high, you, the faster you push. Yeah. The faster you can vibrate, the higher you It's can crazy. Hit. Like with podcasting now, it's like podcasting is not, it's like, I feel like it's on the break of media to where mm-hmm. it's a very uh, more respected than it's been 10 years ago. Like Joe oh, Rogan yeah. done a lot for the game, but mm-hmm. um, there are lessons. Joe. Yeah. There are, you, you do know, DMT. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There are, I mean, there's lessons now with like people teaching us like, so you want to be a podcaster, you want to be a radio broadcast, uh, radio broadcaster. It's like the first thing you have to understand 
is you have to make your voice special. You have to you have to find a rhythm. You have to you have to learn how to breathe, and that's the first yeah. thing that people talk about if they know what they're talking about is like posture. Yeah, it's like I'm terrible posture. Oh, I do too. <laughs> the worst. The worst. Yeah, I'm but ter- uh, I'm awful. especially I mean, think about this. So, like, when you're playing guitar, you're gonna be hunched over it anyway. Yeah, that's the thing about it's. Uh, that's what, and most of the time I play standing up. You know. Yeah. Unless I'm just, it's like three or four gigs in and I'm tired. Then, I, But I never sit down with a band, ever. That's a no-no. That's like a cardinal sin rules. <laughs> yeah. um, but if I'm playing solo, sometimes I'll sit down. But Yeah, man, so that, that's that's basically how I got into music. The, the way I got down here was because of that. Um, I was going to, oh, I remember, sorry, let me back up real quick. Back that thing To up. Ron Hall. And how he really not only got me taught me how to sing, but really got me interested in like performing. Say that name one more time. Ron Hall. <laughs> that's my that's my that's my that's my radio voice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Ron Hall. So <laughs> I was in what was called like chamber choir, whatever. You know, you had to audition, and they placed you. They had like oh, yeah. chamber choir, and they I'm had familiar like with choir. It, So I was in chamber choir. And then they, the girls, because there was always more girls in choir than guys, because it was high school in the 90s, and that was the thing, you know. Yeah. So, the girls had their special, like their select choir, you know, like, and I was like, and we had enough guys that year, then I was like, man, why can't the guys do something? And so, me and him talked, and this was when the Temptations movie had just come out, okay? (laughs) And I'm a huge Temptations fan. The very first song I ever sang at karaoke was Ain't Too Proud to Beg by The Temptations, man. I love The Temptations. But, uh, and he was like, because he was really big. He he toured with the Box Tops as a drummer for a while. And they're the ones that wrote, my baby just wrote me a letter. Ain't got time to take that one. Mm-hmm. But, um, so he was all about it. He was like, what we'll do is, he goes, we'll do a Temptations medley. So he auditioned and fit the five things and it was me and these four other guys. And uh, I watched the movies, and I came up with the entire choreography. Like, we did the legit choreography from this. Like, we practiced a lot on this. And uh, we did it for the like the choir thing. And it was, like, a huge hit at that school, man. They had us do it for the entire student body. Like, the school had us do it for the entire student body. Wow. We would practice at, like, lunchtime. And after lunch, choir and band would meet. Mm. And the choir room was at the very front, and you had to walk down to get to the band room. Yeah, sure. Well, every time we would practice, there would be like 60 people in there watching us practice. They were they ate that shit up, dude. And that's when I first got, I was like, oh, I kind of like this. Yeah. <laughs> I like this attention. Yeah. And, uh, and then when we did it, every, it was like a, it was the very first time, because we had this huge auditorium. I mean, it was a big high school. It was a 5A high, size high school. So we had this huge auditorium that would fit. God, I don't even know how many people, a thousand or more people in there. And it was the very only year that we've had that entire thing was filled. It was completely filled for a, a choir <laughs> concert, a high school choir concert. Wow. Because we were doing this and everybody wanted to see it. Yeah. And when we came out, I guess some of the girls had planned this, but like 30 or so girls got together and they ran down to the stage and like screaming and stuff. And that's when I was like, I really like this. Yeah. I really like this. That's really right. <laughs> but that's, that's, he taught me about performing and how to perform and that's what he gigged and that's when I first saw that and got exposed to that and that's when I was like, yeah man, that's that's what I want to do, you know. 
cool, man. Well, what I want to do right now is let's take a break. Okay. When we come back, we're going to be listening to uh, Sublime. Woo! Well, you want us to Sublime? So, uh, here's Bad Fish, man. When you grab a hold of me Tell me that I'll never be set free I'm a parasite Creep and crawl, I step into the night Two pints of booze Oh, tell me, are you a bad fish too? Are you a bad fish too? Ain't got no money to spend I hope this night will never end Lord knows I'm weak Won't somebody get me off of this reef Baby, you're a big new I'll grab the reef and all the diving things I can swim, but I wish I never learned The water's too polluted with germs Oh, dive deep when it's ten feet overhead And grab the reef that's underneath my bed Underneath my bed, oh, ain't got no quarrels with God Ain't got no time to go. Oh, oh, oh. Lord knows I'm weak. Won't somebody get me off of this reef? Yeah. Yeah, man. I like some Sublime, brother. Hey, Badfish. Badfish, man, dude. Sublime. I love Sublime, brother. It was, uh. Sublime was one of those. Bands, God, man, I'm trying to remember what year that came out with, uh, when Badfish and all that came out. I can't remember. It was 90s. It was, Oh, yeah, dude. Like, the 90s were huge for me. Like, 96, I, like, I fell in love with ska music in 96, man. I think that's one of the main reasons besides soul music is why I have horns in my band is because <laughs> I'd always, I've always wanted that, you know. Yeah. You don't, you know, you don't, people love it, too. I mean, like, that's one thing I love about having horns in the band is, like, we, you know, is every time, like, Brian or Alvin, like, when we start sound checking them and they have that, the microphone comes on and Brian comes on with a saxophone and he just rips this run that's just epic, you know, and I look out in the audience, dude, and people's faces just light up. Are melted, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they just light up because it's, it's, you don't see it, you don't get it as much anymore. You know, it's not a staple like it used to be. Well, you know, and the, you, you know, know, there's a there's a coax on it. I believe is um, I, I think about like Nathaniel Rayliff and the Night Sweats. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, found Nathaniel Rayliff early. For the most of us, we found it when he did Sob. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there were horns involved. Yeah, and then they backtracked, and then they went and saw him by himself, and it's like, my God, it's revivalist and God, who else? They all have horns. It's like horns are cool, oh, but yeah. I think it, it is moderation. But because like I, I do think like people are enticed and intrigued by mm-hmm. it and love it. But I I think the tolerance is there's a level. 
Yeah, I can see that somewhat, man. It just depends on what, you know, how you use them in the thing and, and what kind of show you're going for. You know what I'm saying? Like, this thing is like, you can't have James Brown without horns. It doesn't work. You know what I'm saying? It's not the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just bass and drums playing the same thing over and over and over again. Brother. Sure. I mean, it depends on how you really use them, I think. I think if it's, um, you know, like Nathaniel Rateliff, he has, I love his stuff. Like, I'm a huge fan of his. But I feel like on his stuff, when he writes that stuff, it's not intent with intention of, like, horns. You know, it's a secondary thing. It adds to it. It's a way to, you know, sure. add a feeling or an ambience to a song or everything like that. And uh, so I feel like there's a real big difference from writing from that point and writing to the point of where, you know, horns are not are not just a support instrument as much as it, you know, it helps carry the melody a mm-hmm. lot of times. You sure. Know? And so... Um, Granted, I don't really get to play with everybody at once often, you know, because, I mean, just, the money's not there right now to do that, you know. I, I feel maybe another year or two, then, maybe you know, we can, it'll be like that. But um, I just love it, man. It's, I've wanted it my whole life, and I finally got it, and I'm not going to let it go. <laughs> While we're there, it's just, I don't know where we are with the story is. I mean, tell me a little bit about... Oh. Red and the Revelers. And, okay, so... You know? Like, how did that yeah. start? Did you start out as, like, a, just a singer-songwriter? Or yes, as a matter of fact. how songs in a bar? Or what how, how all this happened... I've been in bands before. Okay, I will preface that. I'm older. I'm 38 now. So in the early 2000s, when I moved down to Mobile, punk was really big in the scene. That was what all the original bands... And I'm not talking about, like, the downtown crowd, because I wasn't old enough. This was uh, this was a place called the Vineyard, which is across the street from South at the time of that little shopping center, which I think Rick's Sporting Goods is in now. Mm. But it was a, a church, and the guy there, instead of having kids out on the street, would let us have punk shows in at the church in this building. It was called the Vineyard. We'd hang out in the parking lot. There's a church like that down. Uh, holy crap! It was down there. It wasn't that long ago. They tried to replicate it, but it didn't work. Yeah, it was at uh, the uh, the Ugly Mug or something like that. They had yeah. like hardcore shows and stuff. That's when yeah. hardcore kind of took over. Yeah, and it, and it, it wasn't punk it, anymore. But this work. this dude every weekend that place was packed, bro. And we had all these punk bands, and that's and I I had some of those bands growing up. And it was kind of it was more of a fun thing. You do it because you want to pick up chicks and you're playing a punk band. It was nothing serious. We never rec- well, I think we recorded one album. It was I I think they're catchy, but it was a terrible band name. I don't even want to talk about it. It's terrible. Anyway, Pass so. Up. I I I quit doing music for cause of that. No, 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 no. I just got a point in my life where uh, I ended up. I got I had married. I had two kids, and it was just uh, we. It was two different people. You know, I'm very outgoing, outspoken. And it was a uh, she was not that sure, and um, so uh, just. Yeah, uh, I ended up just kind of quitting doing music. I thought my, you know, I, it was part of my life for so long, you know, I'd, and I was like, well, I'm done being in bands. You know, I've got kids now, i got to work, you know, sure. stuff like that. And uh, and so it just kind of one of those things, you kind of quit doing it, and then it's not part of your life. And then it was one of those things where it was like, I always kind of thought in the back of my mind, man, I'd like to do a band again. But I was always be just like, nah, your time's passed. 
you know you can't it's it's too it's you you let you had your chance and you when you should have done it and you didn't do it you know that's what I love about a lot of the people uh, stories that I have on here mm-hmm. is uh, time and time again we're taught that uh, it's never too late like I mean even in life in general right is so you graduate high school yeah. okay so by the time you get to college if you go to college you should find your mate and by the time you graduate college you should get married and in two years you should start uh, thinking a about family, a home and having yeah. a family and if yeah. you're not on this life track then you're a pl- complete piece of shit yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's real weird how we're conditioned to be a certain way, and if you're not that way, then and you know, it's it's the older I society get, society can't run. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. the whole thing. People, will, you know, society can't run if you're different. But it was one of those things, man, where it was just, um, and then I got in a bad situation and things fell apart for a while, and so I didn't play for a better part of a decade, maybe. I would sing karaoke. That would be the one thing I would do. But I didn't actively write. I didn't actively play my piano or my guitar or anything for about a decade. How was that rust? <laughs> it, 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 it's like riding a bike, man. When you've done something that long, it's just kind of like, like, I don't remember any of the theory. I don't remember, like, if you asked me something, I couldn't tell you. But it's I just. I couldn't tell you. But I couldn't ask you. <laughs> yeah. But it's just kind of. Do you know the like, pentatonic? Yeah, well, it's just kind of like they. It's just kind of a part of me now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know what to do because I've just done it for so long. Muscle memory is a real thing, it and it's is. very. It's a very much real thing. Um, I didn't play. I didn't play the piano for longer than a decade. I didn't play the piano for 15 years, and when I finally pulled one out, probably about two years ago, and set it up. I sat down and I played a piece from high school that was like a classical piece that I just had. Just my fingers took over, and just knew what to do. You know, so it's just like one of, it's crazy how that works. But that, that's one thing I've learned. Like just over, I mean, we've been doing the show for two years now, and mm-hmm. um, you get to sit down with somebody that has been doing music for some time. Is it's it's not a bad question. I think yeah. if you know if the person you're asking has been in enough interviews and kind of had time to think about it, they can do it. But is you you often like your frame of question is important. It's yeah. like I don't like I've done it, but I don't like asking people like tell me about the song and about the structure and how you came across it because like it, by this time now, dude, it's like I've been doing this, dude. Yeah, you it's a, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about now. It's like it's not even so much theory. It's just I know my style mm-hmm. and I know how to play the instrument. And I know how to reflect myself. Well, even when I was... And when something hits me... Yeah. When I finally played at church, piano at church, when I was finally in high school, like my junior year of high school, and people thought it was a joke when I got to the piano because nobody knew I played. You know, and by that point, I'd played for 12 years, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so I then had parents would ask me to teach their kids, and I was like, you don't... That's a whole different skill set. I was like... You could ask me how I'm doing what I'm doing, and I can't tell you. I don't know. I'll just do it. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. And so, but uh, so I got out of music for a long time, and uh, I went through a divorce, and I got divorced, and I moved in here with my buddy Hanson, and so I had a lot more free time, <laughs> and so uh, I started actually going to see live music again. You know. And I was like, because I, I never, I never did. I never, I didn't see live music for, you know, 
If it wasn't karaoke, brother, I didn't do it, you know. Now, I sang a lot of karaoke because that was my only outlet, you know. But, you know, I got really depressed for a really long time and put on a lot of weight and stuff before I got divorced. And I, I really think a lot of that was because I wasn't doing what I, what I was supposed to be doing, which is making music or creating music or, you know. And I feel like sometimes when you don't do stuff like that, like what you're supposed to be doing, that's... That's why a lot, you know, like it had negative effects on sure. my life. And, uh, but so anyway, I started going out and seeing live music. And one night I had a friend and he messaged, he hit me up on Facebook and he's like, this is where you need to go. And it was the Brickyard. And uh, he told me to go to the Brickyard because Jennifer Hartswick was playing. And I don't know if you've ever seen her play. She's a, I have not, man. She's, she's a trumpet player and she sings and she's amazing. And she was playing with a, uh, I can't remember, it might have been Yellowhammer at the time, because, you know, Jernigan was always playing at that point over there a lot. And so, um, I think it was them, I can't not remember. But anyway, so I went, and it was standing room only in that place. I mean, it was super crowded, you know, pre-COVID, no mask, everybody touching everybody, it was crazy. Pandemonium, I don't know how we survived it. But, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, uh, Nuts. But Nuts. I remember, I was just, I was... I was standing there in the middle of the room, and I went completely by myself, and um, which is very unusual for me because I'm not that type of person. But I really wanted to see this music, so I went by myself, and I was just standing there. And I was just, you know, in the moment, and uh, she was playing, dude. Everybody was cheering for her, and everybody, you know, and it was this crazy thing. And it was one of those things that, like, any time I saw somebody perform, I would always think, man, I wish that was me. Sure. It was one of those things, like, I wish that was me. I want to be on stage. I wish that was me. And, uh, but it was always, but. I wish that was me, but. but you but. know. Yeah, sure. But it was something about just everything that had culminated at that point. At that point, I'd started, like, right before I got divorced, I'd started picking up my guitar and just playing some cover songs. I put out some videos on Facebook and stuff, just cover stuff, just as, because I wanted to start playing again. And, uh, but at that moment, it was like something clicked in my mind, like something just, it was like a switch was flipped in that moment. And I just remember standing there and I was watching her and, it, you know, and I, out loud, and I don't think anybody heard me because the music was going and everything. I want that. I know, just out loud I said, instead of saying I wish that was me, I literally just looked and I said, that's going to be me. And, uh, and, I mean, that was three years ago. And uh, so I, I I went and uh, you started when I left. Yeah, I, was, I didn't start gigging right then. I, so that's when I went home. I got this girl right here, and uh, I got a new guitar because I wanted I wanted something new, I wanted something fresh, and uh, I just immediately started writing, man. And that was one of those things that like, I didn't know. You know, I I wouldn't. And my intention at first was I just wanted to perform. So I started learning a bunch of cover songs, and that was what I was going to do. You know, I was going to sure. play cover songs, and uh, but I would write just because I needed an outlet to deal with what I was going through at the time. You know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, to get it out. Yeah. So I think my first gig. This is a fun story. So I was like, when you first start off, what you do is you just email everybody possible. And try to get a gig. That's literally the or, or go to open mics. But like, if you're wanting to book, so that's literally you just have to send it and hear no a lot. 
you know, you know. But there was one person that I knew that I played disc golf with, and he knew I could sing and stuff. And he was like, he said somebody was. They opened up this bar, and it was a uh, the the Bellefontaine Sandbar over there on the way to Dauphin Island. It's the first bar when you turn on that long stretch after getting off a range line by the fruit stand. You know we're in Alabama. Once you turn by the fruit stand, you're going straight. It's the first bar on your left. But that's what it's not there anymore. It's done. But it used to be a whole. But it's been several places over the years. Was it Pelican Reef once? No, but that's 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 on farther down. Okay. But uh, I held a residency there for a while. Yeah, but it's uh they uh. So he knew they were looking for people. So they put me in touch with him. Said this guy's. So they were like, "Hey, why don't you come by? You can audition. You know, and because they were just now starting off. They didn't have to have any musical acts at all." You know, but they didn't know me from Adam, you know. So I was like, That's okay. what I love about an open mic. Yeah. So I was like, well, this wasn't even an open mic. This was just like. You were just trying out for I a gig. I was just literally trying out for a gig. So I, I go <laughs> I go there and I'm like, man, I got to I gotta call my nerves. So I was like, I, I got some THC gummies. And uh, I, I had them. And, uh, and I was like, I'm going to eat one of these, okay, before I go in. Because you know? I'd be fine. It's just enough. I, I don't really like to play music. When I'm not high, to be honest with you, but um, fair enough. But I had two of them in there, and I didn't think about my car being hot, and they melted together. So, in my mm. infinite wisdom, I was like, "Well, I guess I gotta eat it all instead." Yeah, instead of why don't I just pinch off the part that I would have ate? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but I was like, well, "Well, I guess I gotta eat it all." The universe says it yeah. melted together <laughs> as one, and I and said so one. I ate it all, <laughs> and so I go in and I sit down, and I'm like in this bar, and there's like people there, and it's like, but it's like five thirty in the afternoon, so there's not a lot of people there. There's like maybe four or five people in sure. there, and uh, it's really nice. It was a really nice little place, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, so I ate this, and I realized my mistake, and I was like. Hopefully, I'll get this audition out of the way before this kicks in. Okay, so I go inside and they're like, the owner's running late, and I'm like, shit. And I'm like, okay. So I'm sitting there and I'm just sitting there like, you want a drink? And I'm like, no, because I know that's to drink on top of that would be the absolute worst mistake. In the I life. went from high to dry. Yeah, and so I was like, no, I'm good, you know. And so I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there. So finally, she walks in. She's like, all right, are you ready? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to sing. I'm like, okay. She's like, they don't even have a stage at this point. She's like, just stand here in the middle of the bar. <coughs> COVID. <coughs> stand in the middle of the bar. <coughs> sing. COVID. <coughs> so I was like, okay. COVID. So I put on my guitar. And I go stand in the middle of this room. And all the, and the four or five people in there turn around to look at me, you know. Sure. And I put it on, and I was going to play A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke. Okay. What? Yeah. And, uh, and as soon as I put that guitar on, man, and I stood up, boom! Boom! Like that bolt. thing came down like a hammer. Like it, a it kicked in the door like a no-knock warrant, bro. <laughs> it was... <laughs> I was just immediately in outer space. And I was, I like, for, I had to like compose myself, you know. And so, like, I started singing. And this is one of these effects that I've had for music that does to me, like, from ever since I was very, very young, is that 
I'll sing something or I'll play something so much that it just becomes like second nature to me so that when I play it, I don't have to think about it. Sure. You can just and, be in the moment. Uh, and uh, I will daydream while I perform and I'll completely not like, so I'm in the middle of this and I completely forget where I'm at because I play with my eyes closed and I'm thinking I'm in my room and so I get done playing and I open my eyes and look I'm in the middle of this bar and all these people and so I but they gave me my very first gig and I was their very first gig and uh, and that's how that started man and then I went to a couple open mics I met uh, a dude named Sergio Rangel Rangel he never tells me how to pronounce his last name and I feel so bad about it but uh, Sergio I met Sergio and he introduced me to a lot of people and then I met Abe and that's when things kind of like changed for me like a, my direction and that's kind of I met Abe uh, at the listening room at the time it's now the people's room but I, I went to go see uh, a man named Caleb Cottle who you said I own his crush coin bottle yes that's yeah I yeah this was pre that this was um, his like one of his first albums I think he was on at the time I can't remember but I a friend introduced me to him and I listened to it and I was like, man, I really like this. I really like singing his songs. So uh, I went to go see him and Abe was the opener. And uh, I went and it was one of those things at the time I knew like for original music, if you were like a solo artist, you wanted to play the listening room. You know, yeah. that's what you wanted to do. And luckily I... I, I, my dad had raised me with a good kind of like business acumen so I knew that networking was very very important so that's one of the very first things I focused on when I started off was networking amen and so um, listen ladies and, and so you know I got to know Jim over there I talked to him you know and I was you know I told him you know I was an artist too I was playing I've been writing some music and stuff and and so um, and so he kind of introduced me to Abe and I said hey you know and then I was sitting there waiting, and I was going to go to the restroom. And I don't know if you've ever been to the listening room before, have you? Have you ever been there? No, no. I okay. So you'll see. The restroom is like where the people perform. There's a little cut-out door, and it's like a tiny hallway, and there's a bathroom right there. So I go, and I turn this tiny hallway, and Abe's just standing there. And he goes, oh, hey, man. you." <laughs> and I'm trying to remember. I think it was Wild Turkey he was had. It had to be. He had a bottle of wild turkey. I've heard too much. It's like it has to be wild turkey. Yeah, I think it was wild turkey. (laughs) But he goes, "Oh, did you come back here for a shot?" And I was like, "Sure." And so we took a shot together, and then he introduced himself, and I, you know, I said he, and we became friends, man. (laughs) That's literally, and then like we literally became friends, and we talked afterwards, and but he, he's, he's really the reason that I have the name Red and the Revelers now. That came about from a conversation we had, and uh, Abe was always very nice to let me ask him questions. He kind of guided me and was like a little bit of a mentor towards me, and uh, and uh, he encouraged I, I me. I think a lot. I'm the same way. Yeah, to be he, honest with you, he encouraged he, he, me. He, a lot. He's literally open to whatever you would like to ask. Oh yeah, totally. He's <laughs> he's probably he, he, one of the nicest people I know on this earth. He is. Probably one of the most genuine, authentic people that I've ever met. Absolutely. And I knew that from the moment that he played his music. Because one of the things that I'm very adamant about in music is is emotion. And being able to 
express emotion and channel that to make somebody feel something. Like if you could connect in that way, and he just has that gift, man. He just he knows how to make you feel what he felt when he's playing that song. And I knew that immediately when I saw him, and that's you why know, I felt that's why I fell in love with him. My my first hearing of A Parches was through um, Unhand the Monster. Oh yeah, that was a great man. Ah, oh, dude, man, I love that podcast too. Um, and like, you know, like he, he don't play the whole song; he just plays a clip. Yeah, and he shared the clip. I think the first one that played on that Unhand the Monster, like the first time it was on, mm-hmm. was uh, his song about aliens. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like a thirty second clip, and mm-hmm. I was like, who? Wow! Yeah, dude. I you know, I was like, yeah, "This is great." Uh, I funny story because it was immediate. It was like it was a connection. It wasn't just through. It was through authenticity. It's like when you see and hear real, you immediately know. Yeah, yeah, he is real, and that's what I told some. I told somebody. I said, "Man, the thing about Abe Parchers is what you see is what you get. That's real." I said, "That man bears his soul on stage when he gets up there every time he plays." And I said, that takes a lot out of a person. And I said, people don't realize that, man. It takes a lot to bear your soul to people. It's emotionally exhausting. It's it's uh, it's physically exhausting to do that, you know. And uh, so that's why I knew that that was the man that I needed to talk to. Sure. When I found out that he had gotten where he had gotten without playing a single cover song, I was like, that's a man that knows what he's doing, you know. Because that's difficult to do in this town. Matter of fact, I think he might be the only person I know of that's done that in this town. I don't play covers. And so, you don't either, yeah. So, I mean, but I, I mean, he just, he floored me, you know. And so, but I was talking to him one day and I was getting some advice and he said, you know, he said, if I could go back, I would not release the music under my name. And I said, I was curious about that. You know, sure. I, said, I said, why? You know, and he said, uh, he said, because singer songwriters that go by their name is this gigantic sea. And he said about 95% of it's just utter bullshit. And so the problem is, he said, you get lumped in with all that utter bullshit and you people don't feel, out. people don't feel like swimming through it to get to you. So he said, when they see an artist, when it's just their name, they're, way more likely to just skip it than to take the time to listen to it because they know that 95% of the time it's going to be terrible. And because and it's not that and it's just because so red and the regular. And that's why he said people will be more likely to look at a band name or something that sticks out to them more than they will just somebody's name. And you know, it I'm glad he is under his name because Abe Partridge is such a unique. It has name. to be. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's almost like a stage name. You would think that if you didn't know him, that that would be a stage name. Yeah. You know, but, and so for him, I think it works perfect, but Greg Padilla is not, uh, it's not that name, you know, it's not. And so, I, you know, and that's, and so that's where he gave me the motivation to do Red and the Revelers, and that's name is, Red is a nickname that I've had since college that was given to me by a friend named Heidi. On our first night at University of Mobile. And there it connects. Yeah, and the very first night of University When were you there? What years? 2000 to 2002, and then I went to South. Well, before, I mean. Yeah, man, I'm old, brother. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, she gave me that. Ten, I went, ten years old, man, though. I went to University of Mobile, 
And I did not major in music. I made the decision after high school to, to not study music anymore. I was done. I was like, I what's the point of me going to college for it? Because here's the thing, man. And I hate to be this guy. I hate to be this guy. Because going to college for music is very important. But for me, it was always one of these things because in the back of my mind, I always knew what I wanted to do was to try and make it eventually. And I'm doing it now that I'm older, but, you know. But the people that do that, they don't go to college for music. No, they don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't. So if that's what... They're always on the verge and change their mind. Yeah, if you're listening, kids, if you're listening at home, and you want to be a singer-songwriter, and you you just got to do it. And you got to go to the places that it's being done. And the college is not that. You're not going to learn anything. There's no amount of theory or anything that's going to teach you how to be an artist that connects with people. There you go. And so, I mean, now it'll teach you how to write great songs, and it's important. But, I mean, like, if you've already gotten to that point, then there's no use unless you're going to teach. If you're going to go to college for music, go to college for music so you can teach other people how to do it. That's great. Yeah. But... I, I was like, I gotta make money. So <laughs> that's, that's really why I dropped out of the yeah. music program is because, man, is my, <coughs> you know, I started playing when I was 15. Yeah. And then I moved down here. I'd already had an associate's from a community college. I'd been working in that job for a year. And yeah. I, went, I was dissatisfied with life altogether. Yeah. And then I got involved more with Christianity. And mm-hmm. then I was like, Jesus Christ, is something else, you know? Yeah. Changed my life. I think I want to do something like that. So my pastor told me, he's like, University of Mobile Christian College in Alabama, you always said you don't never want to leave Bama. He's like, sound like it, you want I loved University of Mobile know, when I was I there, it. man. It was, uh, I was never involved in the music program, but I always knew they had a great one because I had friends that were in the music program there. But uh, I actually sang with a group they had there called Witness for a while. It's changed names. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not the same. It's this was this was ancient. Back they had vision and they had witness. Yeah, and uh, I sang with them for a while, and I did all that. Here's a fun fact: <laughs> when I was a junior in high school, somebody in our church paid anonymously for me over the summer to go to Nashville for two weeks to this music camp for Southern Gospel music, and it was put on by like the Gaithers and the Spear family sure. and all these people, and I went up there and. Like I couldn't like all these Southern gospel greats were there and I learned piano, like how to fake piano hymnal stuff. And I took guitar lessons from this dude that wrote all the songs on this Christian band for hymns album that got sold like a ton of albums or whatever and stuff. He actually told me he would write a letter of recommendation for me for Berkeley. And I told him because <laughs> I didn't want to go to school for music. I already knew I didn't want to. And, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, dude, that was a trip, brother. I, that that was a life opening, eye opening experience for me, because I was involved with people that lived in a completely different world from me. That's what was, which is neat to see. I dipped my toe in for a little bit, and I was like, eh, mm. that water's not for me, brother. Yeah, same and, same uh, thing. It's like long story short, right? It's like, uh, uh. Uh-uh. Yeah, well, it was it was one of those things like they like all the kids that were there like in the families they could literally only listen to southern gospel music. That was it. It felt like that, sure. Yeah, it was, but this was like a legit like even if it was like considered Christian rock, that was a no no. Like it was <laughs> literally southern gospel, and that was your life, brother. They like lived, eaten. These were people that were coming to try and be famous, 
in Southern gospel music world. Yeah, who these people were, but it was it was an interesting experience, man. But I yeah, read the Revelers. I got read, and then the Revelers came from. I wanted something that was very uniquely mobile, you know. Um, Mardi Gras is huge here, but at, at the inception of when I did it was that technically the band is just me, really. And uh, and then like at the at the first I was going to hire everybody out, you know. I would yeah. just hire, but the goal was to I wanted to get some of the best musicians in Mobile and just have them behind me, and I've played with some amazing, incredible musicians. That was my idea. Is uh, I was going to call it the Haley's Comet. That's cool. I like that. And uh, what it was it was going to be uh, the album that I was going to do. It would have <laughs> dropped right around now. Yeah. Was it was going to be Alan Aldridge versus Haley's Comet, and like it was just <laughs> it was just going to be like the set was just like you had musicians from Mobile, Birmingham, Athens, Memphis, Nashville. Yeah. And it was like the Haley Comet, and we were going to have one live show where everybody was there. And then after that, it was going to be like, you never saw it again. Yeah. And it was like the Haley Comet experience, right? Yeah, I like that. That's Once in a lifetime. I like that. Yeah, that's what, it's kind of like, I wanted it to be like, where it was this, the Revelers were just a, a rotating band of Mobile's finest. Yeah. You know? And it's evolved since then. And kind of what you're talking about is kind of how I did, we did a single release party. I released the song Rainy Day Suggestion. And, uh, I had a band of 14, I think it was like 14 people on stage with me. <laughs> That's big. We, yeah, it was an amazing show. We had it at Cedar Street Social Club downtown. Our trumpet players brass band op- started it. And uh, and they're called the Outlaws Brass Band. And they are insanely incredible. Like, I'd put them up against any New Orleans brass band in a heartbeat, dude. These really? guys are amazing. Let's not even go into the Mardi Gras war. Yeah, and then, yeah, no, we, I don't even care that much, brother. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then we had Simone French and True A Troop played after them. And then the Red Clay Strays played. And then Abe Partridge and the Psychedelic Peacocks played. And then. Peacocks. I, yeah, the Psych Peas played. And so, yeah, so you imagine having to follow that, brother. What that was. Dave drilled a hole in his guitar. Caution Light Media. Abe, that was the first video of Psych P's that Abe showed me, and I was... That was that show. I was enthralled by that. Yeah, that I was, was like, that show. This is insane to me, That was man. that show. And so I knew the only way I could possibly follow that was to have just an insanely large band. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I mean, we had... We had bass, we had drums, we had percussion, like congas and stuff like that. <coughs> we had harmonica, we had trumpet, we had saxophone, we had, dude, it was, we had keys, uh, you know, and it was like, I had Zach, I had Zach and John Hall from the Red Clay Strays playing with me, I had Jacob Hall playing with me on keys, Whoa. I had, uh, yeah, dude, it just, some of the Mobile's best, you know, played that night, yeah. and it was... People still talk about it as one of the best shows in Mobile in 2019 was that show. Because, I mean, it was just packed with some of the best talent in Mobile. Sure. And, uh, and it was it was a lot of fun, man. It was We did that similar concept, and that's how. But now it's evolved into we have a set band, and I feel like the Revelers are like, they're, the Revelers are the Revelers. Right. You know, it's, and, uh, it is what it is. Because it's just we've become really tight. And uh, and that's what I like about it is well, that's, that. that's the thing you want in a band, right? 
Yeah, and I but that's one thing we really strive for is being exceptionally tight. Like to the point that like people notice it. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what we like. Uh and we and it's not something that we've had to work at as much as I think we've just there we have a band of brothers, you know. Yeah. There's no I'll give you an example. Yeah, yeah I think this is the amount of tightness is like I used to play acoustic for this man that went on for five years. Mm-hmm. Is and I jumped in at um, two years, started playing <laughs> rhythm, and after I hopped in, just to tell you how tight the band was, was when I picked my guitar neck up. The drummer knew what to do; he knew to stop. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, we're, talking about, what, yeah. we're talking about tightness, like it was emotion. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that's that. That's 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 we've gotten to the point now where like when I do new songs, okay. So like I wrote this song, you sure. know, in the. Um, Shaggy, my drummer, helped me with it with the chord progression earlier. Cool and uh, yeah, his name real name's Chris. We he just got long hair and he's white, so I'm lazy, so his name's Shaggy. But we, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, yeah. If anytime I bring a new song to them, like if we have practice, we're all set up in the living room. I'll just start playing it, and by the time I finish, you got it's done. It's done. You got something. You know what I'm saying? Like they they. They know what I want without me having to tell them what I want now. And we have we've only been playing for like a year and a half, I think is what Which is impressive. And uh but I think it's one of those things, man, is that when you get people that are on the same wavelength with each other, then it's you know, I believe that everybody in the universe is connected. And so I feel like when you get that it creates a special energy that exists in and of itself. That the transference of ideas and stuff is is very natural. Free flow. It's very free flowing. It's very natural, and uh, everybody in the group gets along with everybody. Nobody's, you know. I try to keep it very equal. You know, I I take care of my guys. I that's very important to me. Is that, you know, even if I don't take pay, I will not take pay so they can get paid more. You know, I because this money's not important. That's not what I'm in it for. You know, sure. If I wanted money, dude, I'd play every night a week playing covers, and I'd kill. I could make a living doing that around here. Absolutely. But that's not what I'm going for. You know, I want people that are loyal to me. You know, I want these guys to, to think of me like their brother. You know, I, I, if they have problems and they can't do something, I want them to feel like they can tell me and that they don't have to, you know, I don't want anything to destroy what we have because what we have right now is incredible. And uh, just the past few months have been, even though it's been COVID, you know, we played some shows, but even like the past this past weekend, we played two shows that were just insanely good, just insane. And like the response was, you know, you play for a while and people don't clap, or you know, and it's it's soul crushing. You know, it's like they're there to I've, eat food; they don't want to hear you. I've I've been in the audience and I've I've been on the stage, and what I can tell you is like it's more emotional. Yeah, when you're actually in the audience. Mm-hmm. Is uh, the last show I saw? I mean, uh, Justin passed Townsville. Yeah. Um, we were seeing the Red Clay Strays and Taylor Honeycutt and BB. Oh yeah, man! It was a cool Taylor show Honeycutt. right there at Avondale. I met Taylor Honeycutt at that open mic at Little Italy in Birmingham yeah. that all them guys hang out at. Yeah. Man, she is incredible, brother. Something else. She is a star. But you know, after that was announced, uh, it went. You know, it was a matter of. A walking over and he, we were sitting off in the back. Mm-hmm. It was me, Dave, and uh, old Dave. At this time, uh, the Strays were playing, uh-huh. and uh, 
He just pulled out his phone and he said, if it wasn't bad enough, check this out. And that was the headline. And I was, what can you do? Yeah, man. I, you know? I don't even know how he passed. But I, I've never even heard. It, it was emotional on two levels, that show that night. It was yeah. It was just so good to see live music because the last show that I'd seen, ironically, was the Red Clay Strays, which was almost two months ago, right here in Mobile, when the Psych Peas and Abe opened up. Yeah, it's Soul Kitchen. Soul Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And... That was a cool thing because, like, it feels like as a as a fan, as someone who goes to a show, is this is a stinking privilege, and I hope that this feeling never leaves. And I and like even with like what I've done on stage, it's like I cannot believe who showed up tonight because of everything going on. You know, it's like everything just means so much more. Yeah, man, it's it's cool. And it's feel- like it feels like nothing is being taken for granted. Anymore. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying is, man, like, it's like, when we, uh, when we came back, like, you're right. People seem to think, like, all of a sudden they knew what it was like to not have it. Yes. And I think if you go with something so long, you take it for granted. You know, it's like, we live here, down here, and I never go to the beach hardly. Because I went to the beach so much when I first moved here, that now it's like, eh, it's the beach. You know, and I take it for granted. I mean, where I have friends that drive eight hours just to get here. I'm down. You know, I'm I, you know I, I drove right at four hours down here to be here. You know what? Yeah. I don't give two flips about the beach. The beach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like it's like that. And so now it's like say you know the beach is there, but you can't ever go. Yeah. And then all of a sudden one day you can go to the beach and you're like, holy shit! Like I, I remember beach. why I love the beach. Yeah. You know, and uh, and. So I think you're getting that effect with people, and but you know I've one thing I'm very adamant about, and I tell my guys is you know when we play, I want to make sure it's a show. You know, people aren't showing up just to hear songs; they're showing up to see a show. You know, and I've got you know my bass player Ross Graham is probably one of the greatest dude performers I've ever seen play, dude. That dude goes crazy wild and he's so good. And he's just in it. And that's what I love about Ross is me and Ross have very similar upbringings. He was classically trained as well. He got guitar later and, and he fell, but he fell in love with the bass. And he he's very much me when it comes to playing is he gets lost in it, you know, and he just lets himself go. And, and I think when people see that reckless abandon, you know, it, it incites something in you to say, why am I not that? How can I be that way? You know, and uh, and I think that's very important, and and I think getting people excited and into it and putting on a show and orchestrating something is very important. You know, when you're playing, you know, because I'm not one of those artists, man. I'm not one of those deep artists. You know, I'm not one of those people that's writing songs that are going to make you think about changing the world. Shit, I'm one of those people that writes songs that. It's Friday night and you're going out and you just took a shower and you want a good time and you've got yeah you just smoked a fat blunt and you're feeling great and you're rolling <laughs> down the windows going downtown and you put on rainy day suggestion that's me man and that's and that's I, I'm that's what I grew up listening to and that's what I love yeah. you know so I tried really hard to be that for a while to be that important artist that you know that that one that people go oh man he's got something to say but. That's the thing about it, right? Is, Abe's doing that plenty fine by himself. Sure, man. And, the and world this, doesn't need me. That, that's the thing about it is, uh, man, the moment, it doesn't matter. Like, you might be listening and you don't play an instrument or mm-hmm. you, you might host a podcast that's not working or you might have the best podcast or 
you might just be like a world class knitter, or whatever yeah. the case is. Man, the world doesn't need another of anybody else but you. And exactly, it's, it's, it's finding like that. that that medium is like, I know where I belong. I know what I'm supposed to be. I know where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, I know, exactly. I know what I do, and I was like, yeah. I'm not looking further than this. So, like, look, I want to continue to network and surround myself people who can perpetuate what I'm doing. Exactly. Well, I think that's what can one of those also things. help me grow. Exactly. And I think it's one of those things, man, that, like, for the longest time, I I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. Because it was the 90s. You get so lost it, in it, right? Well, I mean, like, you grow up in the 90s. Grunge. Growing up in the 90s, everything was gravy, dude. The economy was great. You know, and I'm sure it's other people, but like a lot of like middle class was very strong in the 90s. So it was very much you go to high school, you go to college, you get a great job, you get out, you buy a house. All this is it's a, it was a guarantee, man. That was it. That was what we were sold. It was you're going to be able to do this and it's going to be simple and you're going to have this great life and you're going to be able to have everything you want. And then we got there and that shit wasn't there, man. Yeah. And we're back at the beginning where we started, where we said, like, we have this expectancy on life. Mm-hmm. And now it's not the reality because life looks so very different. Because, yeah. Like, man, well, I mean, it was... Life yeah. is different, man. Life, yeah, life it, is different for everybody. And it got a whole generation of kids severely in debt, you know, and it got is bought into the system that it almost... And the bad thing is, it's like, when so, you do something for so long, it's very difficult to stop and go, I'm wrong. You get what I'm saying? So, sure. like, you get stuck in this system of, I've been in this system for so long that if I don't do this, that anything that attacks it, I don't like that because then I have to admit to myself that I've been wrong this entire time. Yeah. And people don't like being wrong, man. And that's why we're in the situation oh, we're man. in is is people are so big on opinions is because they don't want to be wrong. It's just focused on I'm right and you're wrong and that's what they want Every to do. Every time. You want to place blame on something else. Yeah, I mean. You want it's to just... hire yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I believe it goes back, man. That's one of the original reasons I got into music. It was Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan. Hell yeah, that's a great song. Man. Um, I, I love the stories. It was actually by reading uh, John Piper. John Piper. Uh, wow, I hadn't heard that name in a long time. Yeah. I haven't read a book by his in a long time either, but I was reading this book. It was called Don't Waste Your Life. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment that changed his life was he was, you know, just got entered into, I think he wasn't even, I don't think he was even Christian at this point. Mm -hmm. It's like med school. He got sick and he was laid up in the hospital song and just so happened to hear Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan and it changed his life. Because the answer, and, and like I felt it too, man. It's like the answer is Blowing in the Wind. It was like, because, man, where we are right now, whether what you believe, I'm not trying to piss, yeah. you, to piss you off, is, man, we have such a hard time with truth because it doesn't fit our narrative. That is exactly true, man. And I really miss the 90s when people remembered <laughs> that their opinions don't matter for shit. <laughs> yeah. Social media, thank you. It was like, we all became just these big assholes. You know? Well, I think it's, it was, it's, it's one of those things, it's, it was unprecedented. All of a sudden, you had a voice. People that never had a voice or people never that never expected to have a voice all of a sudden had a platform. And the problem with that is that, man, there's crazy people in the world, brother. You know, and, and, and it's one of those things yeah, that, like... I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah, and I'm crazy, too, man. I, my ideas are somewhat out there, you know, yeah. and how I believe and stuff, you know. and uh, But it's... You know, it's 
the only power we have as people is to vote. So all this extra energy we spend in trying to prove to each other oh that we're God. right is such a waste of energy. Yeah, you know, and You're, and I, I never, I never had anybody change my mind because of something that they posted, never. And and the thing is, is and you're right. You and you're never going to change somebody else's mind because it's not like you're going to share that meme and all of a sudden everybody that disagreed with you is going to go, aha, that's it. That's what it took was this meme that I shared. Yeah. You know, and it's like, but I changed the game. I think our, our energy has been misdirected. You know, and uh, I'm a firm believer in the power in the power of. How can I put this? Uh, of not only of our own minds, but of the energy that is in the universe. You know, I really believe that we're all connected. I believe that that is that is okay. that is and in it. You know, I was raised in church, and I believe in God. I'll say that. You know, I believe in God. I may not believe exactly how I was raised. You know, sure. In a you know, I was, it was, church was a very big deal in my life for a lot of number of years. I went through this program called Awana from the time I was a kid till I was older where you memorize. That's why I was, one thing I credit to my, my memory now is that because I had over half the Bible memorized at one point. Oh, it was sick, dude. Like six years ago, like when, right when I graduated from University of Mobile, mm-hmm. it was like those small books, like New Testament, like Philippians and mm-hmm. Ephesians and these are like four chapters, six chapters, and then yeah. like, is I could recite the entire book to you, yeah, or it, verbatim. Mm-hmm. And um, man, it, it's just like that reflected into every aspect of my life. Like what you're saying right now is, is yeah. And it was just you know I grew up in that in that thing. So you know I I've I've read you know I spent a lot of time with it. So it's just one of those things that like it shaped me in a way that. I started paying attention more to it and what I felt that it was teaching me than to what other people were telling, like pastors or anybody else like that were telling me, you know, and, and because the whole point is that it's a personal thing. It's a relationship thing. Yeah. And so. I'd agree with that. Yeah. And so I believe that, you know, if, you know, we're all God's children, then we're all connected. You know, that's just a given thing. We're all spiritual beings that exist on the same plane from the exact same source. Absolutely. And um, and I think, you know, I was at a point in my life where I'd given up. You know, I'd straight given up and I would make an excuse every time, you know. You know, I I was one of those people that, you know, I'd, I'd, I have, I've been diagnosed with ADHD really bad. You know, and uh, and uh, so it would be one of the and a lot of people think that that means that you're real hyperactive or you can't focus on you can't really focus. But the problem is, is that for me, everything would go through my head at once and it was almost crippling to the point that I would end up doing nothing because I couldn't decide on anything to do. Sure. And so I got kind of a thing of being lazy you know, where it wasn't just that, you know, I was just kind of stuck in my own head and I couldn't get out of it, you know. And uh, music really saves me from that. And that's a big thing is I ha- I can direct that energy in a different way. You see what I'm saying? So it, 
I really believe in the power of of your mind, of you being able to change your world based on how you think. So at that moment, in that time of my life, everything was an excuse. Everything was a, I wish I could. I wish I could. But, but at that moment when I was in that, when I was in that bar watching that group and it switched for me and I said, that's going to be me. That was a, it changed my complete entire world from that point on. And I'm really a big firm believer of speaking things into the universe and that it gives it power. Oh yeah. Vision boards type thing. Well, not but, just vision you, boards. It's more of like a chaos magic kind of thing. I know that sounds real weird. Let me, let me share with you this. is like This is a prime example of what we're doing mm-hmm. right now. Is Let's be candid. Is If I would have never started Porch Talk, I would have never known who you were. Exactly. That's, and that, that's, that's, that's... We don't understand the ripples that our decisions make in life. You know what I'm saying? And so I mean, we like, treat it like a car ride, right? You want to take it to this example is, let's say I'm at a red light. I got a car behind me. I got mm-hmm. a guy in turning lane. There's a guy turning right next to me. We don't think about these people. They're just extras in our own story. Yeah. But like, we're riding our own, but at the same time... They're riding theirs. They're riding theirs. Yeah. And in... And, and, and I like the analogy of being in the car because it's like you're just kind of along for the ride. And for a lot of people, for the majority of people in their life, that's all You're they in are. the back seat because yeah, you never just, stepped in the steering wheel. Yeah. You never drove. Exactly. And But I'm to the point where it's not just driving. You're in control. It's being able to change the entire landscape around you. So basically, from me changing the way I thought, from saying that instead of saying I wish to saying it is, it was an affirmative thing. It changes the way you behave because then then you're stuck with it because you have to get it done. And it's not that you think about it in those terms, but man, my life was completely different three years ago. Sure. I mean, I nobody knew who I was. Nobody. I, nobody, you know, I... I looked completely different. I was extremely overweight. I was over 300 pounds. Wow, man. You know, um, I just, I had, I was bad health, you know, and, uh, and all this stuff. And, uh, I went from doing that to just, just saying, well, that's going to be me. And I just did it. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people have to learn in life. Or if you don't know, and you're thinking about doing this, or you're thinking about doing anything, you want to do something, you have a dream about something is you literally just have to do it. Because until you do it, it will ne- it's not going to fall in your lap. No. You're not going to just wake up one day and somebody's going to hear you singing at the gas station like Tony Braxton and they're going to make you a huge star. That It doesn't happen like that. It's That's like a 1 in 20 <coughs> billion chance that that's ever going to happen. Right. But I went from nobody knowing who I was to having played with some of the best musicians in Mobile and I feel like being respected by some of the best musicians in Mobile to being on the radio. To, you know, having full support of a radio station who, you know, they believe in me. Yeah. You know, to playing in different states and playing, you know, having, you know, I made an album. And sure, it's easy to make an album these days, but, you know, 
for somebody yeah, who's we can make one right now. Yeah, if we yeah. But, I mean, it wouldn't for, sound for, the best. Yeah, but we but, could. But for spending for somebody who spent ten years saying that they couldn't do something, you know, for me to make that happen was a big deal for me because then it showed me that there's literally nothing I can't do. Sure, man. And so I really believe that you know, you know, I believe that in the next couple of years, you know, I'm. I told my manager today. I, I texted him today. The guy that helps manage me and books me. And I told him, I said, look, man, I said, I know I'm going to make it. I said, there's not a doubt in my mind that I'm going to make it because this is what I was meant to do in my life. And I said, you know, there's power in that. And I say that out loud because I know I'm going to make it happen because there's not a question anymore. You know, my whole life was a question up until that moment. Now you're making a statement. Exactly. Now it's a, and it's, and and now it's a, I'm going to show you. You know, because, you know, I I don't like bragging on myself or anything like that, but, you know, I've had people tell me I've been talented my whole life. You know, they say, oh, you've always had a lot of talent. I had, after I graduated high school, I had friends that I caught up with years later and be like, we thought you'd be famous by now. You know, we thought you'd do this. And, you know, and I, I went to college, I never finished. You know, I graduated, you know. The old college I, try. Yeah. Well, I was, I always did well in school. You know, I was always, my sister's the same way, always top of my class. And I went at the top of my class, but like up, you know, I was very smart and I did well, but I, I didn't, I didn't fit that mold. Like you were talking earlier, you know, I went to college and I just realized it was not for me. I didn't know what to do. Everything. I was interested in a ton of stuff because that's the type of personality. I love learning about stuff, but then I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. Sure. You know, and, um. And you feel like a failure, you know, because it's a system that if you don't fit into it, then you're a failure. And that's how I felt. And I feel like that contributed to me quitting music and doing everything because I didn't fit that mold. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I failed. You know, I didn't finish college. I didn't get the job. I didn't get the house. I didn't get all that, you know. And then I realized that everything that that did shaped me to become what I needed to be. For the moment that I needed to die. It's about the ride, man. It's about the ride, brother. And, uh, you know, I just... I really think that people could really just change their world. If they just thought differently. You know, if you change the way you think, you would be surprised what you can accomplish. Let's close it with that, man. Let's do it, brother. Because that's great. (laughs) That's... Man... So you're going to play for us one more time. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to play for you one more time. I got one more in the oven for you. Hell yeah, man. That was good times. <laughs> that was great, brother. Alan, it has been a pleasure, man. I've enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I'm going to walk us out with a song that's going to be on the next album as well. It's called Doing Fine. <laughs> Things I meant to see, so I think I.
There's no tomorrow like today There's really nothing in your way Except your mind telling you that there's no more time You want something more But you know there is no waiting there for you And I'm doing fine And I'm doing fine And I'm doing fine But I'm more than fine You'll never say You want all that away You'll just sit back There's no temptation in the way You say you love me every day Shallow as the grave that I'll soon find I got what I deserve Or I think that I'd have the nerve Hold alone for something more And I'm doing I'm doing fine, and I'm doing fine, but I want more than fine. You'll never say one all better way. You'll just sit back, say you're